Scripture reading this morning is um, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 16. Please stand and read with me. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I'm Sully, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, I want to say two quick things before we get into our text for today. The first is that when you came in this, uh, this morning, there was probably a card on your seat, or potentially a card on your seat. Um, this is related to one of the announcements that Jesse gave earlier this morning about um, the season that we're in. We are uh, looking to have our entire congregation, those who are members and regular tenders, if you would, be in prayer about what you believe you can pledge and give this coming year. Uh, You can scan one of these QR codes and make your pledge there. It allows us to to actually plan our fiscal year next year well. Um, There's actually a couple of really important decisions that we're waiting on, Uh, a couple of things related to our kids' city leadership and directors that we're waiting on to uh, be able to see how pledges come through. So please do uh, take some time this week and fill that out. Don't be surprised if we send you a couple of email reminders this week as well. Secondly... I want to join my voice with all of those who have already greeted our Pilsen congregation. We are, we're so glad that you're here. I hope you feel welcomed. I hope that uh, finding us wasn't too much of a challenge. Uh, navigating Lower Wacker uh, is, is kind of a nightmare. So we are, we're so glad that you found your way here this morning. And I just want to say also that we acknowledge this morning that for those of you who are joining us from Pilsen, that there might be some relief and some joy in getting to worship together with old friends. But I also imagine there's a bit of, of grief, a little bit of sadness as well. And we just want to acknowledge that's, that's okay. We want to make space for that. Uh, we also, though, are so excited uh, that together we get to link arms and continue uh, to follow Jesus together. And we rejoice and celebrate the incredible work that the Lord did through you and through the Pilsen congregation in that neighborhood and on the Lower West Side. And we believe that the Lord has more for us to do in Pilsen and the Lower West Side, and so we look forward uh, with hope uh, for what the Lord has in store for us. Well, you've joined us at a great time. We've started a new sermon series uh, in 1 Corinthians, and uh, to start us off today, uh, to get us into the big idea for this morning, I want to I paint three pictures for you, three different scenes, 
three different circumstances. The first one has to do with uh, sitting around a dining room table. You and your family have sat down for a, a nice meal of spaghetti, and you begin to debrief your day, and one of your children, maybe it's your son, turns to you and says, today at school, my teacher asked all of the students to write down their preferred pronoun. And he looks at you and he says, I wasn't sure what I should put. What do you say in that moment? What, what, what is it that he needs to hear in that instance? Scene two. This is a scene at, at the office. You're having lunch with your coworkers. It's the break room. You're sh shooting the breeze. You're talking about uh, the, the latest sporting event. And then the conversation begins to shift, and it begins to talk about the latest protest in the city. And some of, some of your coworkers begin to speak in a derogatory way and immediately begin to feel really uncomfortable. You disagree with what they're saying, and what are you supposed to do in that instance? Are you supposed to get up and walk away? Are you supposed to stay and just be quiet, or should you confront them? Scene three, you and a coffee shop and a friend have gotten together a friend of yours that has been a big influence in your life, someone that, that you love, someone that has made a big impact in your life, and someone that, that you uh, have really relied on in a lot of ways. And yet, over the last couple of months, you began to notice that they've been posting some stuff on social media that you disagree with and that you're actually kind of offended by. And you begin to realize that you and this friend maybe aren't, uh, don't see things eye to eye as much as you thought you did. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to confront this friend, push through, ignore what they've said, or do you just let the friendship drift apart? Uh, just let it happen. Each of these circumstances, each of these scenes, they're a little bit different. All of them are pretty challenging. All of them point to the fact uh, that we are, we are people who are in need of a lot of wisdom these days. I don't know about you, but the last two years, or whatever it is that we're calling this last season of life together, uh, it has been one of those seasons where it seems like every turn there's another situation that I am just confounded by, unsure of how to proceed. I've never had so many instances where different things have been happening that have revealed to me my lack of wisdom, my, my need, my desperation for wisdom on how to, how to proceed, what, what to do. This morning, I want to I speak to us, all of us collectively, about the wisdom that we need to follow Jesus today. I want to talk to you about wisdom that doesn't come from inside ourselves, a wisdom that we can find easily, but, but a special type of wisdom. I want to talk to you about how to faithfully follow Jesus in this war-torn, pandemic-weary, truth-skeptical world. These are extraordinary times, and it, and it requires extraordinary wisdom. And this extraordinary wisdom, I believe, is actually more accessible than we sometimes re realize. My aim is pretty simple. I hope that we leave this time this morning more reliant on the Spirit of God for the wisdom of God. That's my hope, that's my prayer, is that we would go into this week more dependent upon the, the Spirit of God for the wisdom of God. So to that end, I want to ask the Lord for his help. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we come before you this morning because we are people who, who need wisdom. Father, we sometimes feel in over our head so many circumstances that demand wisdom. And Father, there are so many things that we realize we don't know. And so we come before you today, uh, humbly, asking that you would reveal wisdom to us, Lord. Show us again just the incredible privilege of having the spirit, the gift that you've given us. 
Father, I ask that you would show us the beauty of Christ, his death, his life, his resurrection, Lord. Give us faith, Lord, to see wisdom in what the world sees as foolish. Give us faith to follow the crucified and resurrected Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have called this sermon series the, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we're calling it Church on Fire. And there's a couple of reasons why we are referring to this sermon series as Church on Fire. There's a couple of ideas that we want to come to mind, and I want to mention two of them at the outset of our time today. The first is that uh, the church in Corinth, well, it, it had a lot of issues going on. It had some, some problems within its church, and in a lot of ways, it was allowing the fires of culture to begin to engulf them. And they were allowing the, the fires and the mess of the culture around them to begin to impact them. Well, we also live in a world, a time where it seems like the fires of culture are encroaching upon us. We can feel the heat of them, and it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to navigate this season of life. The second main idea that we're coming to when we are calling this sermon series Church on Fire is an idea that, that the Spirit has been poured out upon the church in Corinth. And similarly, we believe that the, the Spirit has been poured out upon us, and it's really imagery taken from Acts 2, where, where the Spirit was poured out upon the church. And so this idea of the fire of culture and the fire of the Holy Spirit really actually intersects today in our passage. Like I said, my aim for us is that we would become more reliant on the Spirit of God for the wisdom of God, knowing how to navigate all of this chaos that seems to be surrounding us. What I want to do today is walk through our passage in three parts. And so the first couple of verses, six through nine, I just want to ask, you know, who, who has this wisdom that we need? The second part of the passage, 10 through 12, I, I want to ask who can help us get this wisdom? And then finally, once we've asked who has it and who can help us get it, in verses 13 through 16, I just want to simply ask, who will we become when we receive this wisdom? Who has it? Who can help us get it? Who will we become? So starting off with, who has this, this wisdom that we need? I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like everyone else has wisdom. Everyone else knows what they're supposed to be doing. And sometimes I feel like, man, I, I just I don't know what to do. I, maybe it's similar to the first time you took the CTA or if you've ever had to navigate the public transit in another city and it seems like everyone else knows what they're doing and you feel pretty foolish trying to figure out how to get into the train. Well, this morning I want to dispel the idea that you are alone in not knowing exactly how to navigate these uncharted waters. There's no map for having to navigate what we're experiencing together. There's no simple way of, of trying to figure out how to raise your kids in the city. There's no simple answer to how to go about navigating conflict with friends. It's a moment that we're realizing that there's a wisdom that we need that we don't currently possess, a wisdom that needs to come from outside. And I don't care how many degrees you have, whether you're called a professional in your field of work, there's no amount of knowledge you can obtain on your own that is enough. I think we're all in the similar boat of needing special wisdom. This is really the first point that Paul is making in the opening of this passage. He's talking about the wisdom that we need. And it's a wisdom that isn't just run-of-the-mill type of wisdom. If you have your Bibles, look back at verse 6. This is what it, Paul wrote. He said, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a, a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The city of Corinth, like Chicago, was enamored with wisdom, of, of obtaining knowledge. Uh, 
I don't know about how many of you came to Chicago because of school or how many of you are here currently in school, but there is this hunger, I think, in Chicago for uh, gaining knowledge. And we all are drawn towards people who sound eloquent, who are well-read, who are charismatic. But what Paul says here is that everything that shines is in gold. What he means by that is that everything that seems impressive might actually not be as impressive as we think it is. The wisdom that we often are longing for and seeking after might not always be the wisdom that we need. The wisdom that we need is a different type of wisdom. And in this passage, he begins to try to distinguish between the wisdom uh, that we are seeking after and the wisdom of God. If you have one of those scripture journals, uh, by the way, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, we have some 1 Corinthians scripture journals that are over on a table over here in the corner. Uh, we would love to give you one of those. So please pick up uh, a scripture journal on your way out. If you have one of these, or if you're someone who marks up your Bible, I want you to circle the first word in chapter 7. The word but, the, it's a conjunction that indicates distinction. Throughout our passage today, Paul is going to make a, a lot of different distinctions, some contrasts, some comparisons. And in this first part of our passage, he's making a comparison between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of God. And he's really trying to help us understand the difference between the two of them. The wisdom of this age, well, it's a wisdom that's going to pass away. But the wisdom of God, it can't be found amongst the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. No, the wisdom we need is an eternal type of wisdom, a wisdom that can only be found in God. It's interesting to note that Paul describes this wisdom that we need as the secret and hidden wisdom of God. Maybe you have somewhere in the city your secret place that you love a lot and you don't want anyone else to find, and so you hope it's, it stays hidden, that no one else finds it. It's kind of maybe, maybe it feels a little weird to describe God's wisdom as a secret and hidden type of wisdom. Well, I think what's actually being communicated here when we're talking about God's wisdom as secret and hidden isn't so much that it's something that should be kept away or kept secret as, as if never to be found. In our home, we, we have a rule, no secrets. We don't want our kids to be raised thinking being, keeping secrets is okay. So how, what are we to make of this? I think what really is being referred to here as being a secret and hidden wisdom is it's referring to the uniqueness of this type of wisdom. It's not the run-of-the-mill type of wisdom that you can get anywhere. You know, you can go to any grocery store and find eggs and milk and bread, but there's some spices that you have to go to a special restaurant or a special uh, grocery store to find. So it is with the wisdom that we all need. It's a wisdom that's not mass-produced, but it's found only in God himself. He decrees it, he defines it, he distributes it. Christianity makes this claim that God is the source of all wisdom, all that is true. He is, he is the one who defines what is right and good and righteous in the world. And I know that that may come across as maybe a little uncomfortable or maybe even a little bit of offensive to you. That Christianity makes this claim of universal truth that can only be found in God himself. That the religions of the world come short. The wisdom that you can find in school comes up short. That you lack wisdom that God has. It's it can kind of be an offensive term or an offensive claim. The text, though, says, to be clear, that before Aristotle, before Socrates, before Plato, God spoke. And it was his word that declared what was right, what was wise, what was true. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he helps kind of articulate why this kind of feels offensive. In our culture, we sometimes think that this claim for universal truth is an enemy to freedom 
Think about it for a second. If someone comes around and tells you what to believe or how to, you know, what, what, you're, what you believe to be true, and you kind of recoil and you say, don't, don't you tell me what to believe. No, our, our instinct is to want to be able to de- determine for ourselves what is true and what is right and beautiful. We don't want people telling us what to believe. We sometimes may feel as if this, is a, this may be a stumbling block for you, that this idea that God is some rigid type of God demanding that you completely adjust to him. Well, Tim Keller goes on, he says, that's not the picture of the God of the Bible. Yes, it's true that God is the one who determines what is right and good and true. His uh, wisdom is an eternal, uh, universal type of truth, but the picture that we get in Scripture is a God who actually adjusts to us, a God who stepped down and took on human flesh and met us where we were. Not a God who is somehow uh, rigid, but a God who so loved us that he came towards us. So for people who orient their lives, not around the wisdom of this age, but rather around the wisdom of God, it's not oppressive. It's not some begrudging thing, but rather it is something that is a delight and a joy to do. When you're in a loving relationship with someone, it's, it's a joy to serve them, to, to, to actually adjust to them and to serve them. Isaiah, or uh, sorry, excuse me, in our passage today, Paul loosely quotes Isaiah chapter 64. And maybe in your Bible, it's set aside in quotes. And here he's actually referring to this prayer in Isaiah 64 for God's mercy. And he uses this prayer to remind us what God's wisdom is meant to do for us. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, this is what God has prepared for those who love him. So it's a joy to submit to the wisdom of God. C.S. Lewis once, once, was once asked, is it easy to love God? And his reply was, it is for those who do it. And what he meant by that is that when you are in a loving relationship with a God who loves you, adjusting your life according to his wisdom, it's good. You know that it's for your good. Our text even says that it was declared before the ages for your glory. So for us, Holy Trinity Church, as we think about who has the wisdom we need, Paul's pretty clear. The God of the Bible, the God of the universe, he is the one who has this wisdom that we need. So what's the implication? Stop looking for wisdom where it's not. Stop looking for wisdom uh, in places that you won't find it. It's not going to be the Instagram celebrity you follow who's going to get you the wisdom you need. It's not going to be the next degree that you're pursuing. It's not going to be found in the books that are going to one day crumble and and are going to pass away. But wisdom that we need is found in God our Father. So next time that you go looking for wisdom, ask yourself, where, where do you go looking for it? The, the friend or the counselor that you go to to find wisdom, to seek wisdom from, maybe ask the question, is this person going to actually help me discern the wisdom of God? I'm beginning to talk a little bit about who is it who can help us find this wisdom. And that's really where our, our text takes us. It begins to, ask, to answer the question, who is it who can help us access the wisdom that we need? Look in your, your Bible with me at verse 10. This is how our passage continues. It says, These things, those great things that God has prepared for us, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Again, if you have one of those scripture journals, another thing, you, another thing you can do is circle here in verses 10 through 12 all of the different times the word spirit comes across. And you'll begin to quickly realize that in verses 10 through 12, the main subject is the spirit of God. And at the very beginning of verse 10 and the very end of verse 12, clearly state what the purpose of the spirit is. It is meant to help us to grasp the wisdom of God. Here in these verses between 10 and 12, we find another contrast, another comparison. Here, Paul is beginning to draw this contrast between the, the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. And he begins to describe how the spirit of God is incredible, the access he has to the wisdom of the world. It's interesting that he notes that, that he says he searches everything, even the depths of God. I don't know if when you think of searching, sometimes what first comes to mind is searching for something I've lost. Like I'm always searching for one of my AirPods. I never seem to be able to have both of them. But the reality is that here, when we're talking about the Spirit of God searching everything, even the depths of God, what's being referred to is, is the access that the Spirit has, the, the comprehensive scope of his wisdom, that he is able that there's nothing that can be hidden from him that he even knows the depths of God himself. This is what is shocking about the passage, though, is that Paul says this incredible spirit who has access to all wisdom, all knowledge, has been given to us. The church in Corinth had neglected or forgotten this great resource that they had been given. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And that helper is the Spirit of God. And it's a, a helper to, meant to help us to follow Jesus in today's chaotic, crazy world. The Corinthian church had been given a task, follow Jesus, and they're trying to do it in a way that actually isn't going to be helpful. They're searching for wisdoms, wisdom in a way that's not actually going to help them find wisdom. It's as foolish as someone who's been asked to dig a tunnel and, and instead of using the big caterpillar tractor is using a teaspoon to try to do it. it. It's impossible. Here before us today, what's, what's tragic, I think, is that you and I too can read a passage like this and be unmoved. In our information-saturated world where we have just become so accustomed to just having so much information accessible to ourselves that Something like this, a passage that describes the wisdom of God being accessible to us, it just, well, we're kind of immune to it. We're numb to it. Having the, the information of the world at our fingertips tucked away in our pockets, we just maybe have, aren't very amazed at the fact that the Spirit has been given to us. The gift of the Spirit, though, is it's really important in our life. Uh, we, I think, would all agree that there's a difference between having access to knowledge and actually obtaining it ourselves. And the Spirit of God, the role of the Spirit of God in your life is to help you not just have access to the knowledge and the wisdom of God, but to make it real in your life. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that God loves you, uh, that God is love, but it's a whole other thing to say, I am loved by God. It, it's one thing to, to know that Jesus forgives, but it's a whole other thing to say, Christ has forgiven me. There's a, a pastor, Dane Ortland. He's written a little book about the heart of Christ, and he's got a chapter in, in his book on the role of the Holy Spirit. 
And he speaks about the, the role the Holy Spirit is meant to actually help us uh, to really experience and to know the heart of Christ. This is, this is what he writes. He says, the Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen, not just seen, but felt, and not just felt, but enjoyed. I love what he says next. He says that the Spirit makes the recipe actual taste. The idea of the Spirit in your life is meant to make the gospel come alive for you, to experience the personal love and forgiveness of our Savior. I recently visited a sister, one of my sisters in Salt Lake City, and if you've seen pictures of Salt Lake City, which I've had, a, you know, just seen a couple of pictures of this city tucked away at the edge of the Rocky Mountains, these beautiful big mountains, and the pictures were great but they pale in comparison to standing atop one of the Rocky Mountains and looking out in every direction, seeing mountains for as far as the eye can see. Completely different experience than looking at a single picture. The role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Spirit of God in your life is, is to allow you to step into the picture, to step into the reality of the gospel, that it becomes your lived experience, that the wisdom of God wouldn't just be something that you read on a page, but it's something that you would indwell, that you would live by. So here's the implication. Pretty easy to know that we all need wisdom. God has it. The Spirit can help us get it. So stop looking for it where it can't be found and stop looking for it in ways that won't lead you to it. In James, the book of James in the Bible says that if we lack wisdom, we should go to the Father and ask for it, and he will eagerly give it to us. So this week, what does it look like for you to seek wisdom? Well, I believe it's for us to get on our knees and to pray to ask God for wisdom, the wisdom that we lack on how should I be raising my children? How do I navigate this conflict with a friend? How do I be a faithful follower of Jesus in my workplace? Here's what I'd like to ask you to do this week. In your prayer life, be bold. Don't go before God kind of sheepishly trying to barter with him, but go boldly knowing that God has promised to give you wisdom, that he wants you to access it through his spirit. So be bold in your prayer. Be specific in your prayer. Pray about specific circumstances that you're facing. And thirdly, be receptive. Be ready to receive the wisdom of God. As we move to the third and final portion of our passage, we really get to this idea of once we've received this wisdom, what is the end goal? Who are we going to become like? What is the purpose of having this wisdom? What kind of people will we become? So look again at your Bibles, verse 13. It says this, And we impart this, wis uh, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For, he, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here, again, in the third part of our passage, we come across one final contrast or comparison. First was, the, was we were looking at the, the knowledge or the, the wisdom of this age versus the wisdom of God. Secondly, we contrasted the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. Now we compare and contrast the natural person to the spiritual person. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of a spiritual person, but for me, I think of someone who just doesn't care about the, the real physical world around us, but someone who uh, is really more uh, dis de detached. But that's not really what we're talking about when Paul is speaking of the natural versus the spiritual person. What he is simply meaning is the person who has the spirit in them. 
who has the spirit dwelling inside of them. This is the contrast he's making. He's saying that the person who has the spirit can discern what is true and what is right, can receive the things of God, whereas the natural person, the person without the spirit, they just see the things of God as foolish. Here, I want to remind you of the, the, the circumstances of this letter that's being written. Paul is writing to this church, the church in Corinth, and here at this point in the letter, there's a bit of a critique. It's not just information he wants them to understand. Hey, this is how you get wisdom. But rather, this is kind of, this is as one commentator says, it's got a little bit of a bite in it, a little bit of a kick that he's referring to the Corinthian church and he's saying, look, you all are acting like mere natural people, people who don't have the spirit. It's a bit of a critique of them. The church in Corinth, what, what had happened was that they came to faith and they then began to see the things that brought them to faith, the cross, as elementary. And so they decided to start moving on to what they thought was better and bigger things. The other teachers and philosophers who were coming into the city and they were beginning to think, okay, maturity, growing up in our faith, well, it, it, we need to obtain some other type of wisdom. And Paul is critiquing them here and saying that your vision of what being a mature Christian looks like is wrong that for them, they needed to readjust what they pictured as growing up and being a mature person in Christ. So the question that I suppose I want to ask you today is, what, what do you picture when you think of a mature Christian? What does it look like for you to grow up to be a mature Christian? I think to us, like the church in Corinth, we might have some wrong understanding, wrong ideas about what it means to be a mature Christian. Let me just get specific for a moment. I think for a lot of us, we think that uh, being a mature Christian looks like maybe having the absence of, of sin and sorrow and suffering. Sorry for the alliteration, but it sticks. The idea that I think some of us have about what a mature Christian looks like is that it means that we, have, uh, we no longer have to deal with sin. But in actuality, yes, we grow in holiness, but we also begin to grow in our awareness of our sinful tendencies. More and more we see how sin has corrupted our world and our hearts. Some of us think that growing up in Christianity is to think that you no longer have to experience sorrow, which is true. We, we do grow in joy, but at the same time, we grow in our ability to lament and to have our hearts broken over things that are unjust and wrong in the world. Christian maturity, we think, sometimes means, okay, we no longer have to suffer, but that is so wrong that we actually... We actually grow in our comfortability with suffering. That cr mature Christians know how to, the, the good of suffering to love and to care for one another. So here, I just want to ask you, what's your picture of, of maturity? What, what, what does it look like for you to actually obtain this wisdom? Who are you becoming once you have the wisdom of God? Tish Harrison Warren helps us to see that our picture of maturity might not be what we think. In her book, Liturgy, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she describes Christian maturity um, at first glance might look a little childish or foolish. She draws on the insights from a guy named G.K. Chesterton. And she says that G.K. Chesterton, she saw in God this childlike wonder. And I want to quote here from G.K. Chesterton, and hang in there with me. I'll connect the dots in just a moment. Listen to this quote. He says, because, this is G.K. Chesterton. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in the monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough 
to exult in the monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every, every evening, he says, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we, we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Christian maturity might not be what you expect. Growing up in Christianity doesn't mean moving on past the cross of Christ, but actually the mature Christian keeps coming back to it in awe and amazement, seeing the wisdom of it, seeing joy in it, seeing freedom and hope in it. The Corinthian church somehow began to realize that what brought them to faith, the cross, was elementary and foolish, and they needed to move on from it. How foolish they were acting, acting as mere natural people. But we, Holy Trinity Church, are called, like the church in Corinth, to see the beauty of the cross, to see that Christ, what he did, was wisdom. It says at the end of our passage today, that we have been given the mind of Christ. The mind that saw stepping down from his throne, taking on flesh, suffering and dying in our place for a bunch of sinners and rebels. Christ saw that as wise and good and beautiful. Yet the, according to the wisdom of this age, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that for someone who doesn't deserve it? The spirit of this world would see that as a waste, would see that as there's no good that could come from that. The natural person would see this as folly. But the mind of Christ saw it as good and beautiful. And so as we grow up, might we grow in the mind of Christ? Might we actually mature to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ? So here's really where I want to leave you this morning. I want to ask you this week to think about something very specific that you need wisdom about. And be persistent in your prayers this week for wisdom. Be bold, be specific, be ready to receive God's wisdom. As I spoke earlier today, I, my hope, my prayer is that we would leave this space more reliant upon the Spirit of God for the wisdom of God. Yes, and I, I, I hope that that wisdom will help you to know how to navigate the challenging, challenging, challenging things that are in your life, how to, to parent, how to work in your industry, how to be a good friend and navigate conflict. But even more so than that, I hope that the wisdom of God begins to draw you back to the beauty of the cross. I think maybe you've already begun to pick up on it, but there's a bit of a Trinitarian element to our passage today. We first saw that God is the one who has the wisdom, the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of God is the one who helps us access it, and it's the, the mind of Christ that we grow up into. And so really, the final thing I want to call us to is that might we become reliant on the Spirit of God to reveal the wisdom of God so that we might delight and rejoice in the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and loving Father, we come again before you because we are a desperate people for, in need of wisdom. Father, I thank you for the promise that you have given to give us wisdom, Lord, and I pray that we would see, we would see the cross and Christ not as foolishness, but as wisdom. Father, help us to enter into the picture of the gospel and may it be the truth that we, we live by. 
Might the Spirit make the love of Christ tangible for us this week. And might, Lord, we live by the wisdom that you have imparted to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.